0: SECTION 3 OF STATE OF THE UNION ADDRESSES 1857-1860 to 1860. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. STATE OF THE UNION ADDRESS JAMES Buchanan DECEMBER 6, 1858 PART 1 FELLOW CITIZENS OF THE SENATE AND HOUSE OF REPRESENTATIVES when we compare the condition of the country at the present day with what it was one year ago at the meeting of congress we have much reason for gratitude to that almighty providence which has never failed to interpose for our relief at the most critical periods of our history one year ago the sectional strife between the north and the south on the dangerous subject of slavery had again become so intense as to threaten the peace and perpetuity of the confederacy the application for the admission of kansas as a state into the union fostered this unhappy agitation and brought the whole subject once more before congress it was the desire of every patriot that such measures of legislation might be adopted as would remove the excitement from the states and confine it to the territory where it legitimately belonged much has been done i am happy to say toward the accomplishment of this object during the last session of congress the supreme court of the united states had previously decided that all american citizens have an equal right to take into the territories whatever is held as property under the laws of any of the states and to hold such property there under the guardianship of the federal constitution so long as the territorial condition shall remain this is now a well-established position and the proceedings of the last session were alone wanting to give it practical effect principle has been recognized in some form or another by an almost unanimous vote of both houses of congress that a territory has a right to come into the union either as a free or a slave state according to the will of a majority of its people the just equality of all the states has thus been vindicated and a fruitful source of dangerous dissension among them has been removed whilst such has been the beneficial tendency of your legislative proceedings outside of kansas their influence has nowhere been so happy as within that territory itself left to manage and control its own affairs in its own way without the pressure of external influence the revolutionary Topeka organization and all resistance to the territorial government established by congress have been finally abandoned as a natural consequence that fine territory now appears to be tranquil and prosperous and is attracting increasing thousands of immigrants to make it their happy home the past unfortunate experience of kansas has enforced the lesson so often already taught that resistance to lawful authority under our form of government cannot fail in the end to prove disastrous to its authors had the people of the territory yielded obedience to the laws enacted by their legislature, it would at the present moment have contained a large additional population of industrious and enterprising citizens who have been deterred from entering its borders by the existence of civil strife and organized rebellion it was the resistance to rightful authority and the preserving attempts to establish a revolutionary government under the topeka constitution which caused the people of kansas to commit the grave error of refusing to vote for delegates to the convention to frame a constitution under a law not denied to be fair and just in its provisions this refusal to vote has been the prolific source of all the evils which have followed in their hostility to the territorial government they disregarded the principle absolutely essential to the working of our form of government that the majority of those who vote not the majority who may remain at home from whatever cause must decide the result of an election for this reason seeking to take advantage of their own error they deny the authority of the convention thus elected to frame a constitution the convention notwithstanding proceeded to adopt a constitution unexceptionable in its general features and providing for the submission of the slavery question to a vote of the people which in my opinion they were bound to do under the kansas and nebraska act this was the all-important question which had alone convulsed the territory and yet the opponents of the lawful government persisting in their first error refrained from exercising their right to vote and preferred that slavery should continue rather than surrender their revolutionary Topeka organization. A wiser and better spirit seemed to prevail before the first Monday of January last, when an election was held under the Constitution. A majority of the people then voted for a governor and other state officers, for a member of Congress and members of the state legislature this election was warmly contested by the two political parties in kansas and a greater vote was polled than at any previous election a large majority of the members of the legislature-elect belonged to that party which had previously refused to vote the anti-slavery party were thus placed in the ascendant and the political power of the state was in their own hands had congress admitted kansas into the union under the lecompton constitution the legislature might at its very first session have submitted the question to a vote of the people whether they would or would not have a convention to amend their constitution either on the slavery or on any other question and have adopted all necessary means for giving speedy effect to the will of the majority thus the kansas question would have been immediately and finally settled under these circumstances i submitted to congress the constitution thus framed with all the officers already elected necessary to put the state government into operation accompanied by a strong recommendation in favor of the admission of kansas as a state in the course of my long public life i have never performed any official act which in the retrospect has afforded me more heartfelt satisfaction its admission could have inflicted no possible injury on any human being whilst it would within a brief period have restored peace to kansas and harmony to the union in that event the slavery question would ere this have been finally settled according to the legally expressed will of a majority of the voters and popular sovereignty would thus have been vindicated in a constitutional manner with my deep convictions of duty i could have pursued no other course it is true that as an individual i had expressed an opinion both before and during the session of the convention in favor of submitting the remaining clauses of the constitution as well as that concerning slavery to the people but, acting in an official character, neither myself nor any human authority had the power to rejudge the proceedings of the convention and declare the constitution which it had framed to be a nullity. To have done this would have been a violation of the Kansas and Nebraska Act which left the people of the territory perfectly free to form and regulate their domestic institutions in their own way subject only to the constitution of the united states it would equally have violated the great principle of popular sovereignty at the foundation of our institutions to deprive the people of the power if they thought proper to exercise it of confiding to delegates elected by themselves the trust of framing a constitution without requiring them to subject their constituents to the trouble expense and delay of a second election it would have been in opposition to many precedents in our history commencing in the very best age of the republic of the admission of territories as states into the union without a previous vote of the people approving their constitution it is to be lamented that a question so insignificant when viewed in its practical effects on the people of kansas whether decided one way or the other should have kindled such a flame of excitement throughout the country this reflection may prove to be a lesson of wisdom and of warning for our future guidance practically considered the question is simply whether the people of that territory should first come into the union and then change any provision in their constitution not agreeable to themselves or accomplish the very same object by remaining out of the union and framing another constitution in accordance with their will in either case the result would be precisely the same the only difference in point of fact is that the object would have been much sooner attained and the pacification of kansas more speedily effected had it been admitted as a state during the last session of congress my recommendation however for the immediate admission of kansas failed to meet the approbation of congress they deemed it wiser to adopt a different measure for the settlement of the question for my own part i should have been willing to yield my assent to almost any constitutional measure to accomplish this object i therefore cordially acquiesced in what has been called the english compromise and approved the act for the admission of the state of kansas into the union upon the terms therein prescribed under the ordinance which accompanied the lecompton constitution the people of kansas had claimed double the quantity of public lands for the support of common schools which had ever been previously granted to any state upon entering the union and also the alternate sections of land for twelve miles on each side of two railroads proposed to be constructed from the northern to the southern boundary and from the eastern to the western boundary of the state congress deeming these claims unreasonable provided by the act of may fourth eighteen fifty eight to which i have just referred for the admission of the state on an equal footing with the original states but upon the fundamental condition precedent that a majority of the people thereof at an election to be held for that purpose should, in place of the very large grants of public lands which they had deemed under the ordinance, accept such grants as had been made to Minnesota and other new states. Under this act, should a majority reject the proposition offered them, it shall be deemed and held that the people of Kansas do not desire admission into the union with said Constitution under the conditions set forth in said proposition. In that event, the act authorizes the people of the territory to elect delegates to form a constitution and state government for themselves whenever and not before it is ascertained by a census duly and legally taken that the population of said territory equals or exceeds the ratio of representation required for a member of the house of representatives of the congress of the united states the delegates thus assembled shall first determine by a vote whether it is the wish of the people of the proposed state to be admitted into the union at that time and if so shall proceed to form a constitution and take all necessary steps for the establishment of a state government in conformity with the federal constitution after this constitution shall have been formed congress carrying out the principles of popular sovereignty and non-intervention have left THE MODE AND MANNER OF ITS APPROVAL OR RATIFICATION BY THE PEOPLE OF THE PROPOSED STATE TO BE PRESCRIBED BY LAW, AND THEY SHALL THEN BE ADMITTED INTO THE UNION AS A STATE UNDER SUCH CONSTITUTION, THUS FAIRLY AND LEGALLY MADE, WITH OR WITHOUT SLAVERY AS SAID CONSTITUTION MAY PRESCRIBE. AN ELECTION WAS HELD THROUGHOUT KANSAS. IN PURSUANCE OF THE PROVISIONS OF THIS ACT, on the second day of august last and it resulted in the rejection by a large majority of the proposition submitted to the people by congress this being the case they are now authorized to form another constitution preparatory to admission into the union but not until their number as ascertained by a census shall equal or exceed the ratio required to elect a member to the house of representatives it is not probable in the present state of the case that a third constitution can be lawfully framed and presented to congress by kansas before its population shall have reached the designated number nor is it to be presumed that after their sad experience in resisting the territorial laws they will attempt to adopt a constitution in express violation of the provisions of an act of congress during the session of eighteen fifty six much of the time of congress was occupied on the question of admitting kansas under the topeka constitution again nearly the whole of the last session was devoted to the question of its admission under the lecompton constitution surely it is not unreasonable to require the people of kansas to wait before making a third attempt until the number of their inhabitants shall amount to ninety three thousand four hundred and twenty during this brief period the harmony of the states as well as the great business interests of the country demand that the people of the union shall not for a third time be convulsed by another agitation on the kansas question by waiting for a short time and acting in obedience to law kansas will glide into the union without the slightest impediment this excellent provision which congress have applied to kansas ought to be extended and rendered applicable to all territories which may hereafter seek admission into the union whilst congress possesses the undoubted power of admitting a new state into the union however small may be the number of its inhabitants yet this power ought not in my opinion to be exercised before the population shall amount to the ratio required by the act for the admission of kansas had this been previously the rule the country would have escaped all the evils and misfortunes to which it has been exposed by the kansas question of course it would be unjust to give this rule a retrospective application and exclude a state which acting upon the past practice of the government has already formed its constitution elected its legislature and other officers and is now prepared to enter the union the rule ought to be adopted whether we consider its bearing on the people of the territories or upon the people of the existing states many of the serious dissensions which have prevailed in congress and throughout the country would have been avoided had this rule been established at an earlier period of the government immediately upon the formation of a new territory people from different states and from foreign countries rush into it for the laudable purpose of improving their condition their first duty to themselves is to open and cultivate farms to construct roads to establish schools to erect places of religious worship and to devote their energies generally to reclaim the wilderness and to lay the foundations of a flourishing and prosperous commonwealth if in this incipient condition with a population of a few thousand they should prematurely enter the union they are oppressed by the burden of the state taxation and the means necessary for the improvement of the territory and the advancement of their own interests are thus diverted to very different purposes the federal government has ever been a liberal parent to the territories and a generous contributor to the useful enterprises of the early settlers it has paid the expenses of their governments and legislative assemblies out of the common treasury and thus relieved them from a heavy charge under these circumstances nothing can better be calculated to retard their material progress than to divert them from their useful employments by prematurely exciting angry political contests among themselves for the benefit of aspiring leaders it is surely no hardship for embryo governors senators and members of congress to wait until the number of inhabitants shall equal those of a single congressional district they surely ought not to be permitted to rush into the union with a population less than one-half of several of the large counties in the interior of some of the states this was the condition of kansas when it made application to be admitted under the Topeka constitution besides it requires some time to render the mass of a population elected in a new territory at all homogeneous and to unite them on anything like a fixed policy establish the rule and all will look forward to it and govern themselves accordingly but justice to the people of the several states require that this rule should be established by congress each state is entitled to two senators and at least one representative in congress should the people of the states fail to elect a vice-president the power devolves upon the senate to select this officer from the two highest candidates on the list in case of the death of the president the vice-president thus selected by the senate becomes president of the united states on all questions of legislation the senators from the smallest states of the union have an equal vote with those from the largest The same may be said in regard to the ratification of treaties and of executive appointments all this has worked admirably in practice whilst it conforms in principle with the character of a government instituted by sovereign states i presume no american citizen would desire the slightest change in the arrangement still is it not unjust and unequal to the existing states to invest some forty thousand or fifty thousand people collected in a territory with the attributes of sovereignty and place them on an equal footing with virginia and new york in the senate of the united states for these reasons i earnestly recommend the passage of a general act which shall provide that upon the application of a territorial legislator declaring their belief that the territory contains a number of inhabitants which if in a state would entitle them to elect a member of congress it shall be the duty of the president to cause a census of the inhabitants to be taken and if found sufficient then by the terms of this act to authorize them to proceed in their own way to frame a state constitution preparatory to admission into the union i also recommend that an appropriation be made to enable the president to take a census of the people of kansas the present condition of the territory of utah when contrasted with what it was one year ago is a subject for congratulation it was then in a state of open rebellion and cost what it might the character of the government required that this rebellion should be suppressed and the mormons compelled to yield obedience to the constitution and the laws in order to accomplish this object as i informed you in my last annual message i appointed a new governor instead of brigham young and other federal officers to take the place of those who consulting their personal safety had found it necessary to withdraw from the territory to protect these civil officers and to aid them as a posse comitatus in the execution of the laws in case of need i ordered a detachment of the army to accompany them to utah the necessity for adopting these measures is now demonstrated on the fifteenth of september eighteen fifty seven governor young issued his proclamation in the style of an independent sovereign announcing his purpose to resist by force of arms the entry of the united states troops into our own territory of utah by this acquired all the forces in the territory to hold themselves in readiness to march at a moment's notice to repel any and all such invasion and establish martial law from its date throughout the territory these proved to be no idle threats forts bridger and supply were vacated and burnt down by the mormons to deprive our troops of a shelter after their long and fatiguing march orders were issued by daniel h wells styling himself lieutenant-general novo legion to stampede the animals of the united states troops on their march to set fire to their trains to burn the grass and the whole country before them and on their flanks to keep them from sleeping by night surprises and to blockade the road by felling trees and destroying the fords of rivers etc these orders were promptly and effectually obeyed on the fourth of october eighteen fifty seven the mormons captured and burned on green river three of our supply trains consisting of seventy-five wagons loaded with provisions and tents for the army and carried away several hundred animals this diminished the supply of provisions so materially that general johnston was obliged to reduce the ration and even with this precaution there was only sufficient left to subsist the troops until the first of june our little army behaved admirably in the encampment at fort bridger under these trying privations in the midst of the mountains in a dreary unsettled and inhospitable region more than a thousand miles from home they passed the severe and inclement weather without a murmur they looked forward with confidence for relief from their country in due season and in this they were not disappointed the secretary of war employed all his energies to forward them the necessary supplies and to muster and send such a military force to utah as would render resistance on the part of the mormons hopeless and thus terminate the war without the effusion of blood in his efforts he was efficiently sustained by congress they granted appropriations sufficient to cover the deficiency thus necessarily created and also provided for raising two regiments of volunteers for the purpose of quelling disturbances in the territory of utah for the protection of supply and emigrant trains and the suppression of indian hostilities on the frontiers happily there was no occasion to call these regiments into service if there had been i should have felt serious embarrassment in selecting them so great was the number of our brave and patriotic citizens anxious to serve their country in this distant and apparently dangerous expedition thus it has ever been and thus it may ever be The wisdom and economy of sending sufficient reinforcements to Utah are established not only by the event, but in the opinion of those who from their position and opportunities are the most capable of forming a correct judgment. General Johnston, the commander of the forces, in addressing the Secretary of War from Fort Bridger, under date of october eighteenth eighteen fifty seven expresses the opinion that unless a large force is sent here from the nature of the country a protracted war on their the mormons part is inevitable this he considered necessary to terminate the war speedily and more economically than if attempted by insufficient means in the meantime it was my anxious desire that the mormons should yield obedience to the constitution and the laws without rendering it necessary to resort to military force to aid in accomplishing this object i deemed it advisable in april last to dispatch two distinguished citizens of the united states messrs powell and mcculloch to utah they bore with them a proclamation addressed by myself to the inhabitants of utah dated on the sixth day of the month warning them of their true condition and how hopeless it was on their part to persist in rebellion against the united states and offering all those who should submit to the laws a full pardon for their past seditions and treasons at the same time i assured those who should persist in rebellion against the united states that they must expect no further lenity but look to be rigorously dealt with according to their deserts the instructions to these agents as well as a copy of the proclamation and their reports are herewith submitted it will be seen by their report on the third of july last that they have fully confirmed the opinion expressed by general johnston in the previous october as to the necessity of sending reinforcements to utah in this they state that they are firmly impressed with the belief that the presence of the army here and the large additional force that had been ordered to this territory were the chief inducements that caused the mormons to abandon the idea of resisting the authority of the united states a less decisive policy would probably have resulted in a long bloody and expensive war these gentlemen conducted themselves to my entire satisfaction and rendered useful services in executing the humane intentions of the government. It also affords me great satisfaction to state that Governor Cumming has performed his duty in an able and conciliatory manner, and with the happiest effect. I cannot in this connection refrain from mentioning the valuable services of Colonel Thomas L. Kane who from motives of pure benevolence and without any official character or pecuniary compensation visited utah during the last inclement winter for the purpose of contributing to the pacification of the territory i am happy to inform you that the governor and other civil officers of utah are now performing their appropriate functions without resistance the authority of the constitution and the laws have been fully restored, and peace prevails throughout the territory. A portion of the troops sent to Utah are now encamped in Cedar Valley, 44 miles southwest of Salt Lake City, and the remainder have been ordered to Oregon to suppress Indian hostilities. The march of the army to Salt Lake City through the Indian Territory has had a powerful effect in restraining the hostile feelings against the united states which existed among the indians in that region and in securing emigrants to the far west against their depredations this will also be the means of establishing military posts and promoting settlements along the route i recommend that the benefits of our land laws and preemption system be extended to the people of utah by the establishment of a land office in that territory i have occasion also to congratulate you on the result of our negotiations with china you were informed by my last annual message that our minister had been instructed to occupy a neutral position in the hostilities conducted by great britain and france against canton he was however at the same time directed to cooperate cordially with the british and french ministers in all peaceful measures to secure by treaty those just concessions to foreign commerce which the nations of the world had a right to demand it was impossible for me to proceed further than this on my own authority without usurping the war-making power which under the constitution belongs exclusively to congress besides after a careful examination of the nature and extent of our grievances i did not believe they were of such pressing and aggravated character as would have justified congress in declaring war against the chinese empire without first making another earnest attempt to adjust them by peaceful negotiation i was the more inclined to this opinion because of the severe chastisement which had then but recently been inflicted upon the chinese by our squadron in the capture and destruction of the barrier forts to avenge an alleged insult to our flag the event has proved the wisdom of our neutrality our minister has executed his instructions with eminent skill and ability in conjunction with the russian plenipotentiary he has peacefully but effectually cooperated with the english and french plenipotentiaries and each of the four powers has concluded a separate treaty with china of a highly satisfactory character the treaty concluded by our own plenipotentiary will immediately be submitted to the senate i am happy to announce that through the energetic yet conciliatory efforts of our consul-general in japan a new treaty has been concluded with that empire which may be expected materially to augment our trade and intercourse in that quarter and to remove from our countrymen the disabilities which have heretofore been imposed upon the exercise of their religion the treaty shall be submitted to the senate for approval without delay it is my earnest desire that every misunderstanding with the government of great britain should be amicably and speedily adjusted it has been the misfortune of both countries almost ever since the period of the revolution to have been annoyed by a succession of irritating and dangerous questions threatening the friendly relations this has partially prevented the full development of those feelings of mutual friendship between the people of the two countries so natural in themselves and so conducive to their common interest any serious interruption of the commerce between the united states and great britain would be equally injurious to both in fact no two nations have ever existed on the face of the earth which could do each other so much good or so much harm entertaining these sentiments i am gratified to inform you that the long-pending controversy between the two governments in relation to the question of visitation and search has been amicably adjusted the claim on the part of great britain forcibly to visit american vessels on the high seas in time of peace could not be sustained under the law of nations and it had been overruled by her own most eminent jurists this question was recently brought to an issue by the repeated acts of british cruisers in boarding and searching our merchant vessels in the gulf of mexico and the adjacent seas these acts were the more injurious and annoying as these waters are traversed by a large portion of the commerce and navigation of the united states and their free and unrestricted use is essential to the security of the coastwise trade between the different states of the union such vexatious interruptions could not fail to excite the feelings of the country and to require the interposition of the government remonstrances were addressed to the british government against these violations of our rights of sovereignty and a naval force was at the same time ordered to the Cuban waters with directions to protect all vessels of the United States on the high seas from a search or detention by the vessels of war of any other nation. These measures received the unqualified and even enthusiastic approbation of the American people. Most fortunately, however, no collision took place, and the British government promptly avowed its recognition of the principles of international law upon this subject, as laid down by the government of the united states in the note of the secretary of state to the british minister at washington of april tenth eighteen fifty eight which secured the vessels of the united states upon the high seas from visitation or search in time of peace under any circumstances whatever the claim has been abandoned in a manner reflecting honor on the british government and evincing a just regard for the law of nations and cannot fail to strengthen the amicable relations between the two countries the british government at the same time proposed to the united states that some mode should be adopted by mutual arrangement between the two countries of a character which may be found effective without being offensive for verifying the nationality of vessels suspected on good grounds of carrying false colors they have also invited the united states to take the initiative and propose measures for this purpose whilst declining to assume so grave a responsibility the secretary of state has informed the british government that we are ready to receive any proposals which they may feel disposed to offer having this object in view and to consider them in an amicable spirit a strong opinion is however expressed that the occasional abuse of the flag of any nation is an evil far less to be deprecated than would be the establishment of any regulations which might be incompatible with the freedom of the seas this government has yet received no communication specifying the manner in which the british government would propose to carry out their suggestion and i am inclined to believe that no plan which can be devised will be free from grave embarrassments still i shall form no decided opinion on the subject until i shall have carefully and in the best spirit examined any proposals which they may think proper to make i am truly sorry i cannot also inform you that the complications between great britain and the united states arising out of the clayton and bulwer treaty of april eighteen fifty have been finally adjusted at the commencement of your last session i had reason to hope that emancipating themselves from further unavailing discussions the two governments would proceed to settle the central american questions in a practical manner alike honorable and satisfactory to both and this hope i have not yet abandoned in my last annual message i stated that overtures had been made by the british government for this purpose in a friendly spirit which i cordially reciprocated their proposal was to withdraw these questions from direct negotiation between the two governments but to accomplish the same object by a negotiation between the british government and each of the central american republics whose territorial interests are immediately involved settlement was to be made in accordance with the general tenor of the interpretation placed upon the clayton and bulwer treaty by the united states with certain modifications as negotiations are still pending upon this basis it would not be proper for me now to communicate their present condition a final settlement of these questions is greatly to be desired as this would wipe out that last remaining subject of dispute between the two countries our relations with the great empires of france and russia as well as with all other governments on the continent of europe except that of spain continue to be of the most friendly character with spain our relations remain in an unsatisfactory condition in my message of december last i informed you that our envoy extraordinary and minister plenipotentiary to madrid had asked for his recall and it was my purpose to send out a new minister to that court with special instructions on all questions pending between the two governments and with a determination to have them speedily and amicably adjusted if that were possible this purpose has been hitherto defeated by causes which i need not enumerate the mission to spain has been entrusted to a distinguished citizen of kentucky who will proceed to madrid without delay and make another and a final attempt to obtain justice from that government spanish officials under the direct control of the captain general of cuba have insulted our national flag and in repeated instances have from time to time inflicted injuries on the persons and properties of our citizens these have given birth to numerous claims against the spanish government the merits of which have been ably discussed for a series of years by our successive diplomatic representatives notwithstanding this we have not arrived at a practical result in any single instance unless we may accept the case of the black warrior under the late administration and that presented an outrage of such a character as would have justified an immediate resort to war all our attempts to obtain redress have been baffled and defeated the frequent and oft-recurring changes in the spanish ministry have been employed as reasons for delay we have been compelled to wait again and again until the new minister shall have had time to investigate the justice of our demands even what have been denominated the cuban claims in which more than a hundred of our citizens are directly interested have furnished no exception these claims were for the refunding of duties unjustly exacted from american vessels at different custom houses in cuba so long ago as the year 1844 the principles upon which they rest are so manifestly equitable and just that after a period of nearly ten years in 1854 they were recognized by the spanish government proceedings were afterwards instituted to ascertain their amount and this was finally fixed according to their own statement with which we were satisfied as the sum of one hundred and twenty eight thousand six hundred and thirty five dollars and fifty four cents just at that moment after a delay of fourteen years when we had reason to expect that this sum would be repaid with interest we have received a proposal offering to refund one-third of that amount forty two thousand eight hundred and seventy eight dollars and forty one cents but without interest if we would accept this in full satisfaction the offer is also accompanied by a declaration that this indemnification is not founded on any reason of strict justice but is made as a special favour one alleged cause for procrastination in the examination and adjustment of our claims arises from an obstacle which it is the duty of the spanish government to remove Whilst the Captain General of Cuba is invested with general despotic authority in the government of that island, the power is withheld from him to examine and redress wrongs committed by officials under his control on citizens of the United States. Instead of making our complaints directly to him at Havana, we are obliged to present them through our minister at Madrid. These are then referred back to the Captain General for information and much time is thus consumed in preliminary investigations and correspondence between madrid and cuba before the spanish government will consent to proceed to negotiation many of the difficulties between the two governments would be obviated and a long train of negotiation avoided if the captain-general were invested with authority to settle questions of easy solutions on the spot where all the facts are fresh and could be promptly and satisfactorily ascertained we have hitherto in vain urged upon the spanish government to confer this power upon the captain general and our minister to spain will again be instructed to urge this subject on their notice in this respect we occupy a different position from the powers of europe cuba is almost within the sight of our shores our commerce with it is far greater than that of any other nation including spain itself and our citizens are in habits of daily and extended personal intercourse with every part of the island it is therefore a great grievance that when any difficulty occurs no matter how unimportant which might be readily settled at the moment we should be obliged to resort to madrid especially when the very first step to be taken there is to refer it back to cuba the truth is that cuba in its existing colonial condition is a constant source of injury and annoyance to the american people it is the only spot in the civilized world where the african slave trade is tolerated and we are bound by treaty with great britain to maintain a naval force on the coast of africa at much expense both of life and treasure solely for the purpose of arresting slavers bound to that island the last serious difficulties between the united states and great britain respecting the right of search now so happily terminated could never have arisen if cuba had not afforded a market for slaves as long as this market shall remain open there can be no hope for the civilization of benighted africa whilst the demand for slaves continues in cuba wars will be waged among the petty and barbarous chiefs in africa for the purpose of seizing subjects to supply this trade in such a condition of affairs it is impossible that the light of civilization and religion can ever penetrate these dark abodes it has been made known to the world by my predecessors that the united states have on several occasions endeavored to acquire cuba from spain by honorable negotiation if this were accomplished the last relic of the african slave trade would instantly disappear we would not if we could acquire cuba in any other manner this is due to our national character all the territory which we have acquired since the origin of the government has been by fair purchase from france spain and mexico or by the free and voluntary act of the independent state of texas in blending her destinies with our own this course we shall ever pursue unless circumstances should occur which we do not now anticipate rendering a departure from it clearly justifiable under the imperative and overruling law of self-preservation the island of cuba from its geographical position commands the mouth of the mississippi and the immense and annually increasing trade foreign and coastwise from the valley of that noble river now embracing half the sovereign states of the union with that island under the dominion of a distant foreign power this trade of vital importance to these states is exposed to the danger of being destroyed in time of war and it has hitherto been subjected to perpetual injury and annoyance in time of peace our relations with spain which ought to be of the most friendly character must always be placed in jeopardy whilst the existing colonial government over the island shall remain in its present condition whilst the possession of the island will be of vast importance to the united states its value to spain is comparatively unimportant such was the relative situation of the parties when great napoleon transferred louisiana to the united states jealous as he ever was of the national honor and interests of france no person throughout the world has imputed blame to him for accepting a pecuniary equivalent for the session the publicity which has been given to our former negotiations upon this subject and the large appropriation which may be required to effect this purpose render it expedient before making another attempt to renew the negotiation that i should lay the whole subject before congress this is especially necessary as it may become indispensable to success that i should be entrusted with the means of making an advance to the spanish government immediately after the signing of the treaty without awaiting the ratification of it by the senate I am encouraged to make this suggestion by the example of Mr. Jefferson, previous to the purchase of Louisiana from France, and by that of Mr. Polk, in view of the acquisition of territory from Mexico. I refer the whole subject to Congress, and commend to it their careful consideration. I repeat the recommendation made in my message of December last, in favor of an appropriation to be paid to the spanish government for the purpose of distribution among the claimants in the amistad case president polk first made a similar recommendation in december eighteen forty seven and it was repeated by my immediate predecessor in december of eighteen fifty three i entertain no doubt that indemnity is fairly due to these claimants under our treaty with spain of october twenty seventh, 1795 and whilst demanding justice we ought to do justice an appropriation promptly made for this purpose could not fail to exert a favourable influence on our negotiations with spain end of part one end of section three